Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the Scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. Every parent can learn a lot about how to properly care for and raise your children by observing how the Apostle Paul cared for his spiritual children in First and Second Thessalonians. By the time he comes to chapter 4, he has a strong and sober warning related to the danger and damage of fornication and immorality. But he does so only after having first nurtured, encouraged, and nourished these precious young believers, fostering them in the growth of the divine life. Then, as a faithful and exhorting father, he brings to them these critical points in this chapter. Bill Lawson has joined us for our fellowship today in First Thessalonians. Bill, comparatively, you know, we've had some very sweet, very precious, very intimate kind of fellowship that we've observed between Paul and the Thessalonian church. But we come to this chapter, and it's not an easy one, and here we are, because it's in the divine record. We don't want to ignore it. It's an important point, and even in our society today, this matter of immorality and fornication is... Uh, just chewing up humanity at a frightening pace, but it has also taken its toll on the church, hasn't it? Yes, it has, Chris. This is something that has been a problem with the Lord's children, and it continues to be a major problem with believers. Many just cannot overcome this incredible temptation with the temptations of this age. And I like what you started out to say is that Paul, he laid a foundation very good there in the first three chapters when he wrote to the church there at Thessalonica, nurturing them, fostering them, encouraging them, even in somewhat recognizing their work of faith, their yeah. labor of love, their endurance of hope, right. setting forth a structure for him to write this epistle. And then in chapter 4, he gets very, very practical, just like you said, just like a father warning his children in a way of love after he has built up a very loving relationship with his son, then the father can go into some areas that are potentially dangerous to the development of that child. Yeah, as we've seen here, uh, this church made up of uh, new believers, Paul passes through a year later, he now is writing, wants to visit, uh, to see what has happened, and he's gotten these encouraging reports, but we're dealing with a church of new believers. We're dealing with young Christians, and uh, so his work here is very foundational. It's not the highest and deepest of his writings by any stretch, but it is a marvelous pattern to us because we have our own spiritual uh, offspring to care for, and we're seeing in this book particularly how to do that. And what a different book it would have been if he'd have opened with this matter of, you know, fornication right in chapter 1, Bill. 
Yeah, right. That would have probably really turned off the recipients quite, quite much, considering it the law and not easily taken. But Paul is so wise in laying a foundation in the first three chapters, caring for them, loving them. Of course, as you mentioned, the cities of Thessalonica and even Corinth, you can take a look at Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. They had major problems with uh, even uh, incest and fornication, and Paul addresses that problem in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. So in those places, like Corinth and Thessalonica at that time, their pagan religions were rife, abundant with immorality. And no doubt the Lord used Paul to raise up a church there in Thessalonica, and uh, many from that city were gained, uh, were saved, regenerated, and entered into the church life, and no doubt they had a real problem with their past. Their past was probably very much in immorality. So Paul, on one hand, is really, in a sense, praising them for their, you know, their growth in life, their zeal for the Lord, their preaching of the gospel, because that went out all over the area that these believers in Thessalonica were quite on fire. Yet he Mm -hmm. still had to inoculate them. He had to warn them that there are some pitfalls here that they have to be careful about. And the, the greatest pitfall we know is the matter of immorality. A good point I want to underscore before we go on and join Witness Lee. The culture of Thessalonica and Corinth, these cities in Greece and Macedonia, uh, as you said, rife with immorality at the time Paul is dealing with this issue with the believers there. So we have a situation in our culture today. Of course, you and I live here in Southern California, and uh, we know what the situation is like. I mean, it, it must be a parallel to Thessalonica and Corinth. Probably most of those people listening in our country or in the Western civilized world facing many of these difficulties in their own place. So this is particularly applicable to us. We're not living in a preserve here, are we, where these kinds of problems are not just all around us and have saturated our culture uh, at every turn. Really so. It is a major problem. Surely here, in, like you say, in Los Angeles, that this problem is just out of control, I would say. And, uh, of course, it's always been around since the fall of man, but I think in these last days, the situation, I think, is growing worse and worse and probably will continue to worsen as uh, we approach the Lord's second coming. Let me ask you another uh, a quick point here as a way of background because we'll hear this term, and I noticed you used it in your uh, comments a moment ago, and that is a believer entering into the church life as opposed to you know just entering into the church. Some of our listeners may not understand or uh, have a realization of what we're meaning when we use this term church life. Can you just give us a quick definition here? Yeah, I appreciate that, that question, Chris. When we talk about the church life, we're not talking about a mere Sunday morning service where believers attend a service in the morning and then the, they have no fellowship with other believers during the week and then they just go Sunday to Sunday or some may just go on Easter or a major holiday. When we talk about the church life, we're talking about a whole social life of believers, meeting with believers, fellowshipping with believers during the week, not just once a week, right. but it's like a social life. It's like a communal life. Mainly we're with believers who we are being built up with the believers, fellowshipping with them, we meet with them. We break bread, we eat meals together during the week. uh, So in this way, I think we're talking about an entire social life, uh, and I think that's what brotherly means by a church life. 
All right. I've pulled a verse out of chapter 3 to open with, even though we're mainly focused in chapter 4 today. Actually, two verses, because again, they so encapsulate, I think, Paul's heart and his approach to these young believers for whom he had such deep and intimate feelings. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. For what thanks can we return to God concerning you for all the joy with which we rejoice because of you before our God? night and day, petitioning exceedingly so that we may see your face and complete the things that are lacking in your faith. So Paul had this deep longing built to see them face to face and also to complete or perfect those things that are lacking, and that is certainly something he's touching in uh, this, uh, these matters we'll touch in chapter 4. All right, let's join Witness Lee with our fellowship today. We come to chapter 4. In the church... What is the biggest negative germ that eats up, that damages the church life? You probably never consider what is it. You know what it is? Fornication. Fornication is a thing out of the human lust. But this human lust could never have a chance without social life. If you stay alone, you do not have much social life. It's very rare for you to fall into fornication. We all can understand the church life is a meeting life. It's a kind of a social life. We have to contact one with another. According to history, it's very rare to find out a local church that never had fornication, especially Christian co-workers, because the Christian co-workers contact people much more than anyone. In the writings of Paul, Paul stressed this matter of fornication very strongly in Corinthians. Next is in Thessalonians. There was a historical background. That is, during that time in these cities, like Corinth, Thessalonica, immorality was rife. It's common in the society. So, no wonder such a gross sin as incest could happen in the church of Corinth. Paul realized a church so young, so new, just raised up, was existing there. So, after the fasting, after establishing what Paul did, Paul warned them. Now you know why in such a book, to the uh, young church, Paul needed to talk about this matter. You dear brothers and sisters, in that evil city, I just remind you of this danger, the danger to fall into fornication. Bill, uh, Paul is burdened deeply with this matter. This is 2,000 years ago. Uh, today, the matter is still present everywhere. 
both in society and in the church. And he comes on very strongly here now in, in chapter 4, verse 3. He's demonstrated the nurturing, the nourishing, the encouraging. Now he is the exhorting father. Why is this matter such a, an important one and potentially such a damage in the body of Christ? I'm glad you asked that, Chris. Brother Lee here is very strong, and sometimes we may think, why is there such an emphasis on this matter? We have to realize here from chapter 4 and verse 3 here that Paul links this matter of immorality with God's will. In other words, he's likening it to this matter of that God has an eternal will. His will is that we human beings who were created in his image and according to his likeness would express God, would be filled with God, would manifest God, would be built up with other believers Mm -hmm. into a church life. And what damages that church life, what can really cause problems for God to gain his eternal will is this matter of immorality and fornication. Uh. So that's why Paul is so strong here, because immorality, many people don't realize, it damages your vessel. So Paul says here, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, uh, that you abstain. And in this Greek word, abstain, does not just mean, well, you better not play around with it. Abstain is very strong in the Greek. That means to flee. That means to run away. The case there in the Old Testament with Joseph and, uh, yeah. and Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife. wife. Joseph was caught in a situation there alone with Potiphar's wife who tried to take advantage of him in, in an immoral act. And right away, Joseph just ripped himself away and even she ripped part of his garment from him. And that's how strong Joseph was to escape that matter of immorality with the Potiphar's wife. So here it involves God's will. God's will is that even our human body, our human vessel, uh, Chris, would be separated unto God and saturated with God, that we could carry out God's purpose, because God needs the proper humanity yeah. to carry out his purpose, and that proper humanity there needs to be lived out uh, there in a church life, a social life. So this isn't just a matter of, um, you know, teaching of self-control, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and the benefits of that. We're talking about God's purpose, which is that man would be able to live God out and thereby express him in the universe, in the on the earth today, and in the universe is our eternal destiny, right? To be uh, built up as the eternal habitation of God, ultimately as his expression in the universe. So whatever damages the potential for that expression of God is right at the heart of his will, his eternal plan and purpose. So this is a significant matter we're touching, isn't it? Right, because the immorality damages the humanity that God needs, Chris, to carry out his eternal purpose and to see his eternal economy fulfilled. So that's why Paul touches it so strongly, because he's just a reflection of how God feels. We think Paul is strong, but behind Paul is God himself. (laughs) God needs our proper humanity so that he can fulfill his purpose, that man may express God. Well, that's very clear, very helpful. I really uh, have an earnest prayer, Bill, that there are young people, young believers listening to us today. They've probably heard this kind of exhortation from either their pastors or their parents or others that that they're involved with. And, And they may, in light of the culture and society that we're in today, just think, what's the big deal? But I really feel like something on God's heart is coming out here today, and it could be a very preserving word for a lot of our young people and a lot of the, even the Christian workers among us. 
Bill, you mentioned verse 3. Let me go on now with a couple of the verses that follow. Uh, uh, Paul continues in verse 4, that each one of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. We'll look at that in this coming portion. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. In verse 7, for God has not called us for uncleanness, but in sanctification. This matter altogether related to sanctification, isn't it? Really so. All right, here's Witness Lee. The first warning, I say again, is concerning fornication. And Apostle Paul, in writing this warning, uses the most wonderful point to advise all the believers from fornication. He picks up sanctification. He says, this is the will of God. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. God created man with a purpose. Nothing damages man so much as fornication. So here Paul uses the strong word, abstain from fornication. It's a strong word. I mean, stay away, to run away, because God's will is to uh, have you fully separated unto himself, fully sanctified to fulfill his purpose. So, verse 4 says that each one of you know how to possess his own vessel. That means how to keep his body in sanctification and honor. If you got involved in a fornication, right away you are contaminated. Your sanctification is annulled. Not only so, no one, even uh, the unbelievers, would honor anyone who falls into fornication. We must be persons sanctified unto God and with honor before men. Verse 7, For God has not called us for uncleanness, but in sanctification. Then verse 8, Consequently, he who rejects the warning, rejects not man, but God, who also gives his Holy Spirit to you. God has given you his Holy Spirit to sanctify you, to make you holy, to make you separated unto God's purpose. And this Holy Spirit is moving, is working, is acting within you all the time with such a purpose. If you fall into fornication, surely you are just rejected. This indwelling spirit. This is what Paul means. So, all these first eight verses are on this one subject, that is sanctification versus fornication. Uh, Bill, we'll see how the time goes here, but uh, I don't think it would be too bad if we spent the rest of our time on this subject uh, because there's a lot that was just presented. The contrast here now that is taking place between fornication and the matter of sanctification. 
there's two aspects of sanctification that I would uh, ask you to develop for our listeners. But also, what he brought out here in verse 8 about, consequently, he who rejects, in other words, rejects this word relating to abstaining and keeping ourselves from fornication, rejects not man, but God, who also gives his Holy Spirit to you. Uh, how does this all relate, Bill, in the matter of sanctification and keeping our vessel unto sanctification and unto honor? Chris, you had mentioned earlier that you have this aspect of sanctification. Here, as Brother Lee brought out in a very clear way, you have this matter of sanctification on one hand, and you have the honor on the other hand. Sanctification is mainly related to God and how we live our Christian life before the Lord. And the honor is mainly concerning man, how we live the Christian life before others. If we are in, get involved with something immoral, uh, number one, we lose in two aspects. On the side towards God, we have not kept our body sanctified mm-hmm. for him to use for right. his purpose. On the other hand, we know that it's a shameful thing before man, and so we lose respect, we lose everything before man, so we lose in both directions. We lose toward God, we lose toward man. The sanctification does have two aspects. Number one, sanctification is an outward separation. In other words, if we would actively separate ourselves or avoid situations where we might easily fall into immorality, we are are, in a sense, sanctifying ourselves objectively. Yeah. But we also have, like you mentioned, the Holy Spirit within us who is saturating us, who is filling us, who is soaking us within, and his holy life, Chris, is soaking us within, saturating us with the Spirit so that we have the power and the strength to live by the Spirit. The more strength and power we have to live in our mingled spirit, with the Holy Spirit, then we have a less chance for us to fall into the lust of the flesh. And that way, as the verse says, we need to know how to preserve our own vessel. The vessel here is very important. That means every human being is a vessel. As a vessel, that means we can be filled with something. We're either filled with something of God or we're filled with something else. So if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we live the proper Christian life, and then we are freed from the matter of immorality. But if we do not keep our vessel that proper, then we can fall into these unclean, evil, immoral things, and then we do not preserve our vessel unto the Lord. So um, when you take this whole passage, or these eight verses, as he said, that are on this, this difficult, sober subject in Paul's warning, we find that God is not presenting us merely with the standard or the requirement or the law concerning fornication and immorality. But by bringing in the Holy Spirit here, he is also presenting us with the enablement, isn't he? Right. Uh, to be able to overcome this most difficult problem in, in humanity. So outwardly, on the one hand, we have to take the pattern that you brought up earlier, the Old Testament pattern of Joseph, flee from the circumstance where we could find ourselves tempted in such a way. Uh, and then... In addition to that, of course, we have this strengthening, enabling, and real sanctifying power within us, the Holy Spirit, the life-giving Spirit, the very Christ himself, don't we? Right. So outwardly, we can 
take the initiative to keep ourselves away from things, places, people that will lead us into immorality and fornication. And then inwardly, we have the power, like you mentioned, of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us, supplying us with the riches of the life of Christ to enable us to overcome the inward lust. We not only have the problem with the outward things outside of us, they're always pulling on us because we have the lust within. But if we separate ourselves objectively and then we're filled with the spirit inwardly, we have the way to overcome these things. We really need to be walking this way, don't we? Of course, later on, Paul goes on and talks about a, a walk that's becoming or seemly, uh, a walk that is that is really something pleasing to God. And in the society we live in where this matter of lust uh, has become not just, uh, as you said, a, an influence and a force within us, it's become the chief marketing mechanism for just about every product in our commercial society. We cannot avoid contact with things that are you know designed to incite lust in us we really need to be walking in the spirit by the spirit uh as those that can live such a kind of holy and sanctified life not easy but the lord as we said has provided the means hasn't he the enablement right bill um tough duty in one sense but i feel like uh it has been very worthwhile the lord has uh, been able to get something out that i need to hear we all need to hear and have ourselves reminded brought to remembrance of these things, to see the patterns that are before us and to realize the present need that we all have to really walk day by day in and of the Spirit. Thanks for your fellowship and help today. It's good to be here. Uh, we've got just a bit of time. Let me point out our toll-free number if you'd like to reach us, one eight 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 life study 888-543-3788. And we hope you'll join us tomorrow. We continue this week uh, on this very, very enlightening and helpful life study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. For Bill Lawson, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Whether you're hearing this program via radio, online, or as a podcast, you'll find hundreds of audio studies just like this one by visiting our website, lsmradio.com. We also hope you'll email us with your questions or comments, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Thanks for listening.